0: Good evening, St. Mark. I'm so glad you could join us here tonight. Let me open with prayer. God, we love you so much and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for being with us during this time. We thank you that our government could kind of figure out stuff and and, and give some aid to some of those people that are really hurting right now. And we pray, Father, that you would use that powerfully um, for our people, for the people in Arizona, and for our country. Father, just be with us too as we go through some of the uncertainty, as we go through some of the stresses, some of the worries. And just remind us that you've got us, that you love us, that we're yours all the way through this. Remind us that even now you're working working things for the good of those who love you. Even now, you're reminding us that, that you've got us. And so we pray that today, remind us, give us that peace, give us that hope, and, and ultimately that joy that comes from that. And we pray that in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. And so we're picking up in chapter 17 today of John, and we're going to be talking about Jesus' high priestly prayer, at least at the, the very end of it. We're gonna actually going to begin in verse 20, and in verse 20, Jesus says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And why that's so cool is because he's saying, I'm not just praying for the disciples right now, you guys in this room. I'm praying for all the disciples of all time, everywhere who believe in me. So he's praying for us. That's what he's saying here in this prayer, in this high priestly prayer. Jesus is saying, I'm praying for you and for you and for you. I'm praying for everybody. Everybody. And as you go through this prayer, there's a lot of really cool things, but I want you to notice four things real quickly that, that, that I probably talked about a little bit in this morning's message as well, but four things that Jesus prays for you right now as you're going through this coronavirus stuff, right now as you're dealing with the stresses of family or, or money, right now as you're going through some of the worries about the future. These are things that Jesus prays for you constantly. And the cool thing about when Jesus prays, he prays a little differently than when we do. Sometimes we pray for, to win the lottery. And That's never happened for me, not once. So, uh, but Jesus always prays prayers that he knows the Father is going to answer. Right? He's God too. So these are things that he, you, we can count on, that we can absolutely know that we can get from Jesus, get from the Father. And so if, just as you go back, Mike hit, covered some of these last week, but in verse 13 it just says this, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to the world, in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. One of the first things that God or Jesus prays to the Father is this, that we would have joy. I love that idea of joy. You know, I I love the fact that he wants us to experience that. And where do we find joy? Sometimes we get all kind of focused on the circumstances as we're going through this. We get focused on the what ifs or the what maybes or, or woulda, shoulda, coulda's or, or all these different things that are going on in our minds and we can get more and more down, we can get more and more afraid. If you don't believe me, look at the news, look at some of the panic, the hysteria going on in our culture today. But if we look at God, we can find peace, peace that God's got us. And if we have peace, we can relook at our life a little differently and think, I'm going to go for a walk today. Right? Or, or I'm gonna play Monopoly with my kids and I'm gonna celebrate and I'm gonna rejoice at this kind of time that I have more and more time with my family or more and more time with my spouse or more and more time just to figure out different things. I'm gonna make the best of this situation. I'm gonna have joy because God's got my worries. God's got my back. God's with me in the midst of this storm, and so instead of being a grumposaurus or, or a stressosaurus, we we can have joy. You think about Jesus, sometimes I think with all the movies, you think he's kind of a downer. You know, he just walks around like a, a zombie or something. But but he, he was filled with joy. If he was at a party, everybody wanted to go to that party. If he was at a house, the house was overflowing, right? It, wherever Jesus was, people wanted to be. And it's not like he didn't have stresses. Yeah, people trying to kill him. People trying to trip him up in his words. Like every time he talked, it's kind of like the media today. Anytime you make a mistake, they were going to capitalize He had disciples that were following them, so he had charge of them and caring and keeping them safe. He had all sorts of the things that you would think would be stressors, but wherever he went, he seemed to have peace and joy. And so one of the first things God wants for you in the midst of all this stuff, I want you to have joy. Now, think about when he's praying this. Just a few moments, he's going to go to the garden where he's going to be betrayed. He knows all this is going down. He's reminding them that when this all goes down, when their faith is tested to the hilt, in many ways our faith is being tested as we go through this process with the coronavirus stuff in our country, that they're going to need to remember these things. I can count on God for joy goes on in verse uh, 15. He goes to the second one. I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's the second thing he prays. He prays that you would keep him safe from the devil. I love that. He doesn't promise to take us out of the world. He doesn't promise to put a bubble around us. He just says, God, keep him safe. And isn't that what we want right now? And there's a lot of people freaking out about safety. Bullets and stuff are going off the shelves. Right? People are buying guns all during this time. But God, Jesus prays to God. He says, keep them safe. Safe from the evil one. And that doesn't mean we're not going to have struggles in this life. It doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. It doesn't even mean we're not going to get the coronavirus. It just means that no matter what we face, God walks with us and that he's working. All things for the good of those who love him. Right? Keep them safe from what Satan wants to do in the midst of this time. Why is that so significant? Because when we're asked to kind of be sequestered, right, when, when, we're, when we're not able to go outside our homes, when we're not able to do our normal stuff, what do we get caught up in? Our minds. And then our worries. And then our stresses. And then our, and then if you turn on the news, you just, you just add that all to it. And so we get so stressed out. Satan works in our minds, Right? He tempts us there. He, he tries to get us to think up is down and down is up in there. I mean, if he can tempt us and he's going to try to tempt us, he's going to do it during times like this, during times of stress with the disciples in the next few hours. Keep them safe from what Satan wants to do in their life. And you know Satan's going to come. You know he's going to try to trip you up. He knows you're going to try to confuse him. So what do you do? You cling to his word and you cling to this prayer of Jesus because again it's not just a prayer it's almost a promise right I'm going to give you joy if you look to me and I'm going to give you safety from the evil one. what do we pray in the Lord's for keep us you know safe or keep <laughs> deliver us not uh, deliver, da, 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 da. how do we go lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one Jesus prays the same thing here I want to keep you safe I'm praying constantly before the Father now think about in heaven. Jesus is constantly ushering these things up. I don't know how it all works. There's a Trinity thing going. But he's constantly bringing these things on our behalf to the Father. It's like he's there whispering in his ear all the time, protect them, protect them, keep them safe. He goes on to a third thing just real quickly. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And so in verse 18, he's saying, give them a mission. Give them something to do. And here's the mission. Tell people that I came for them, right? It's the Christmas message. Tell people that I came. um, Why is that so significant? Because in his coming, he showed his incredible love for you, for everybody. If you would just hold on to Jesus, he can give you peace, he can give you joy, he can give you protection, he can give you helps, he can give you all sorts of things. But most of all, he gives you forgiveness and salvation, So tell people the Christmas message. Tell people I came. And then shortly they'll have another message to tell them. Jesus rose. He's victorious. All the things he promises are true. And then we'll get to verse 20, which is today. I do not ask these things only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What's he praying for there? He's praying for unity, isn't he? Father, just like we're one and, and we're together, and it's the whole Trinity thing, right? But, but they're, they're one entity somehow. Just as we are one, I want them to be one with us. In this morning's message, I use this, this illustration of follow the leader. I always think of my kids when they were little, and if you can get five, seven year olds just for, I don't know, even five minutes to play follow the leader, what are they doing during that one time? They're in unity are all doing the same thing, you know, acting the same way, figuring out how to do exactly what the leader is doing. Why? Because they're all following the one leader. In the church as believers, we should have a unity that comes in a similar way by following our one leader in Jesus Christ. And if we're doing that, are we focused on the dumb stuff? No. We're focused on him. We're focused on sharing the message of Jesus with all the world around us. We're focused on caring and loving for people in our midst. We're focused on the big stuff. And it doesn't mean we won't have disagreements along the way. We had a disagreement on a building campaign a while back, right? And and some wanted to do it and some didn't want to do it. And we ended up, as a result of that, not doing it, right? And that's okay. That's Those are discussions or 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 disagreements within the body, or whatever. But just think, had we been unified in that, well, like we were for another building campaign prior to that, we built the whole thing. Whenever Christians can get unified behind a mission, behind behind an objective, behind anything, Almost nothing can stop us. Why? Because we have the power of God that resides with us. We have the power of God on our side. Look at what 12 disciples did. And then we came to 120 and then it was 3,000 plus. They took over the whole Mediterranean sharing this message of Jesus. Why? Because they were unified behind the one leader. You go to 1 Corinthians and you see that there started to be some divisiveness in the middle of that. Some were following Peter, some were following Paul, some probably Apollos. And they said, you know, we're going to follow these guys. And what did Paul say? No, 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 no. We're all one. We're all same, sharing about the same Jesus. Stop getting focused on the pastor or the apostle in this case. Start following Jesus. Unite behind Jesus. Even in the secular world, you see this sometimes. Just yesterday, well, this is a week ago. So a week ago yesterday, you saw you saw the, the Senate come together at a time of, in my lifetime, most bitter partisan divide I can ever remember. And they voted 96-0 to pass a relief package for our country. Why? Because all of a sudden there was something bigger to focus on. There was something bigger that united these people that genuinely hate each other, I think, so that they could do something good for our country. And Jesus is just praying that same thing. I want you guys, you're my, you're my disciples. You You are my followers. I want you to have unity in this world because if you have unity, there is nothing that I can't do through you. When you keep your focus on me instead of the disagreements between each other. Is there anything our Senate couldn't do if they would work together for the benefit of our country? Is there anything that our country couldn't do if we were working together for the benefit of our country? Is there anything that the church couldn't do if we were loving on each other, supporting each other, encouraging each other, and sharing with the world that same love, encouragement, and joy that we find in Jesus? It's that disunity that kills the church. It's that disunity that causes us to waste all sorts of time. And again, what's Jesus about ready to do? Not ready to be betrayed? The disciples are, are about ready to have this huge stressor in their life. When you get stressed, you usually get grumpy, right? Uh, Fearful, anxious. All these things are about to come down in in very real terms for them. And Jesus is saying, just keep holding to me, right? A few weeks even further back, hold to the vine. I am the vine. Stay in the vine and you are gonna be fine. It's like I'm a poet now, right? But, But he says, remain in me. Stay unified and you will see a miracle like you've never seen before in your life. Because I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise again. It's awesome. This is a prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples, but it's a prayer that he prays for us to now. What does he pray? Protection? That's huge. We want protection. Joy? Absolutely we want joy. Unity? Absolutely. And then a mission on top of all that. These are the things I want you to know God will is going to do for you. Hold to these truths. And watch me work in the midst of this world. So he shares all those things. Let me continue in verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. In other words, I'm giving them the power to be unified in this way because I'm giving them that one leader for them to follow, that one truth, that one joy, that one gospel. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. In other words, they're going to see the love that's in us and they're going to realize it's from something bigger, right? They're going to realize it is from God himself. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world a righteous father even though the world does not know you. Can we say the same thing today? Absolutely. I know you Jesus says, and these know you that know that I <laughs> and these know that you have sent me. Again, Christmas message, ultimately. God sent Jesus into this world to do what? To say that you mattered. to say that he cares, to say that he is faithful to his promises, to say that he loves you, to say and to remind you that he has a plan. Easter says, I have the power to fulfill that plan, and I've done it, and it's finished, and you win. All those who follow me will get to experience the miracle of God, will get to experience heaven itself, will get to experience me as their strength and their hope and their and their support, and their comfort, and their forgiveness as they go through this life. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Okay, this is all upper room stuff, and it comes to a close. This, he shares with them, love each other. He shares with them, remain in me. He shares with them, some really hard times are coming your way. Keep holding on to me. Keep holding on to my truth. And then he prays for protection and unity and, and, and joy and, and, and mission. And then in chapter 18, we sort of begin the Holy Week experience, don't we? Actually, this is happening all in the midst of Holy Week. But in verse 1 of chapter 18, he continues... When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. It seemed to be a place that they had visited quite frequently, kind of their normal hangout spot. Judas seemed to know where it was because in verse 2 it says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, They went with the lanterns and the torches and the weapons. And I just want to emphasize to you, this was no small contingent. Some of the commentaries say it could have been up to 600 soldiers that were with them. 600 showing up in the middle of the night for Jesus and his band of 12 or however many were there, right? they were coming and they were serious and they were going to have some kind of effect because Jesus, one way or the other, was coming with them. I mean, that's, they went in force. They knew he could do miracles. They, they knew he had disciples. They were coming in force so as just to remove any possibility of anything going haywire. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and he said to them, Whom do you speak or whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to him, I am he. It's another I am statement that Jesus makes. Every time Jesus would use those I am statements, it was to say, I'm Yahweh, right? I, when I say I'm Yahweh, that wasn't even a name you're supposed to say anywhere because it was so holy. It was God's revealed name way back in the day to Moses. Who should I say, who should I say has sent me, Moses said? And God says, Yahweh, I am who I am. Jesus responds, I am he. Jesus, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Think about that just for a second. 600 soldiers or so, or at least a huge contingent. Then you had Pharisees and you had people of the high priest's house and you had just all sorts of people there. Jesus says, I'm the guy you're looking for. I am he. And they not only were startled by that, drew back by somehow the power of what he said. They fell to the ground. They had the numbers. They had everything. And somehow they were so shook by Jesus' revelation there that they fell to the ground. So now you have to imagine they're trying to regain their composure as Jesus is saying in this next part. He said, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. So what's Jesus' whole focus as this begins to go down? He knows it's going sideways for him. Actually, it's going according to plan, but it's going to be very difficult. But he wants to protect his disciples. He just does. He's, He's not only a good leader, but he's a good Lord. He cares about us. And that should tell you that he cares about us right now as we're going through these struggles. He sees, he knows, he cares, and he's, he's working. And, and he just trusts that he's working. And maybe somehow he's going to work through this, this relief package that was sent out by the government. And you just pray that it does, right, so that it helps people in their times of need, that it relieves some of the fear, at least for a month, at least for two months maybe. But he cares, and he says, you know, spare my disciples. Commentators believe at this point, uh, Judas comes and he gives him a, a kiss on the cheek. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Oh, Peter, <laughs> outnumbered like six hundred to ten or twelve or whatever it was, he's like, yes, "Let's go to war!" You know, I, I told Jesus to death I would go. Let's go. And, and if we can just get in Peter's shoes for a second, Jesus had been talking about being betrayed. He'd been sharing some real hard truths about dying and. He gets up, saying, "cling to me, hold to me." All these different things, and and now he sees. <laughs> it probably blew him away that Judas was with him, but he sees the one that Jesus was talking about. Ever had anybody that you loved or you cared for betray you? You almost couldn't believe it was happening. You couldn't believe that it was true. You, you, you just couldn't. You couldn't even wrap your head around it. One of their friends, one of their their disciples, one of the people who followed Jesus all this time saw everything they did. I mean, they camped with this guy. They broke bread with this guy. They, They knew him. They thought inward and out. There he comes with this contingent of people to arrest Jesus, their Lord. How could he do that? And then when he went and he kissed him on the cheek, can you see how that... I mean, he's already an impulsive guy, right? Can you see how that would just make your blood boil? So he took his sword and he cut off the ear, or probably went for the head, right, to kill, but ended up cutting off the ear of one of the high priest servants. The servant's name was Malchus. <laughs> kind of an interesting side note, but John is the one that got entrance into Ananias' house, right? The the high priest that was deposed in AD 15 and then Caiaphas' son-in-law took over. But somehow John was known to this family and he got entrance. That's how Peter got in to that courtyard in the first place. And so he knew his name. He knew Malchus' name. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father had given me? See, even now, Peter was still focused on earth, an earthly kingdom. He was defending his king. He was doing everything because all that mattered to Peter at that moment was the here and now, and I think we get that. That's why we worry so much. That's why we have so much anxiety. That's why we stress over everything because we convince ourselves, at least in those moments, that this is all that there is, that this is what matters most. But I keep sharing with you, We've got to start learning to live for heaven. And that's where Jesus was. He was living for heaven. He was living for the purpose his father sent him for. He was living to go and do what he had to do to make sure we were safe forever and ever and ever. He had a different perspective, a godly perspective, a holy perspective, and he calls us more and more to have the same things. In fact, after Pentecost, you see that the disciples would grab hold of that perspective because each of one of them went out in the midst of incredible danger to share the truth of God's love, his forgiveness, with the world around them. Every one of them were killed except for John. And, and as Mike shared in a, uh, a ministry moment a few weeks ago, even John struggled. He was boiled with, with oil. He was, he was kept in prison for a long time. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, grins and giggles for him either. But all of them were doing it for that something more. They were earning treasures in heaven, they were following the Lord, and people were coming to Jesus, and heaven was getting more and more full. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, where he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who, had, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews, actually prophesied to the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Little could he know that prophecy would come true, but in a very different way, Jesus would die for all those who believe in him so that they could be with him forever in heaven and secure a heavenly kingdom from then on. Caiaphas meant, well, if we just kill Jesus, maybe this all goes away. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another disciple. All commentators are in agreement. It's John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door, so the other disciple, who was known by the high priest, went out, spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. Think about that. One of Jesus' twelve had some close association with the high priest. We know John's dad was the son of Zebedee, right? Or he was a son of Zebedee. So Zebedee was his dad. So he wasn't a son of Annas. Maybe he was a grandson. I, maybe he was a relative of some sort. I, it's hard, Maybe he went through the pharisaical program, you know, that they had back in the day for, for a long period of time. Maybe he was an up-and-comer before he decided to follow John. Who knows? But they were known to the family. And it, it's not like he'd been, he'd been following Jesus for three years. But to gain entrance that quickly into the house, it's not like he hadn't been there for a while. They knew who he was. He gained entrance to the house and nothing bad happened to him. So people knew, knew John. They must also, at some level, known that he followed John the Baptist and he followed Jesus. It makes this interesting because the servant girl, upon letting him in, asked him a question. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also... Not are you, but you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Almost as to say, I know John is, are you one too? Like, well, really? You came here tonight? I mean, what are you, that can't be a good idea. And Maybe he gets a pass, but you sure don't, buddy. He said, I, I am not. Now, if they knew that John was, I'm not saying they did, but Scripture seems to at least posit that question if they knew that john was a follower of jesus or at least some of them did this you are you not also one of the disciples it's almost like she knew he was and he probably knew that she knew he was but he denied it because of because of his fear i mean i think maybe it's like going to a party when you're young and you know, and it's getting late and you're thinking, I'm going to go to church the next day. And, and, and you say, I'm going to take off I'm going to go to church tomorrow. You're, oh, you're a Christian? And you're like, oh, no, I'm not. You know, I don't know. They know you are because you just told them, but you're like, but he just got afraid. Got afraid that he'd be arrested. Got afraid that he'd be thrown in there with Jesus. He just got afraid and he said, I, I do not. Now the servants and the officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching, and Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews came together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them and know what I said. I know we're getting close to time, but I just want to talk about this for a second. They had been trying to trip Jesus up for years, at least a year plus, possibly two years of that ministry. They'd been trying to trip Jesus up in something that he would say, something that they knew was counter-Scripture. They just couldn't find anything. Every time they'd have these discussions with him, he would make them look stupid. Teachers of the law, people who taught this to everybody, kind of the pastors of their day, he was making them look stupid when it came to God's word. Over and over and over, all he taught was the truth. Over and over and over, he expounded scriptures and gave understanding so that the people stood in awe of him. And to be honest, most of the Pharisees did too. What does scripture say? Says that they were jealous of him, that he would not give themselves into their care so they couldn't control him, that he claimed to forgive sins. Well, that seemed to rub them a little wrong, but he kept using scripture to back up why he could. And then he seemed like, in his parables and his teaching, man, it seemed like he was saying he was God. But we don't like him. How could he be God? And he doesn't do the things that we think he should do following the the Talmud and and some of the rules that we've created. He he doesn't obey the things that we think he should be obeying. He's not looking like a king that's going to rescue all of Israel. Again, temporal thinking. He can't be the Messiah. We won't let him be the Messiah. And that hatred began to grow more and more and more. And I don't know if you've ever been at odds with somebody in the church, or, or maybe, okay, just look at, okay, you're, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, look at the opposite party, okay? And so if you're a Democrat, look at President Trump. If you're a Republican, look at President Obama. Even when they do good things, isn't it hard to give them props if they're of the opposite party? And that's because of the dysfunction of our political system today and, and the media getting us all ramped up over different things. But we should be able to give people props when they do something good, But when you're mad at them, think interpersonally, you're mad at your friend or you're mad at somebody at church or at your your work or or, or in your neighborhood, even when they do something good, you want to spin it so that it's something negative. So Jesus just says, hey, everybody's been hearing me. You guys have been trying to trip me up. What have I said? What have you found after all these attempts? What charge do you bring against me? It's kind of like the, the Old Testament version of the fifth, you know, I plead the fifth, right? You tell me why I'm here. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? I love Jesus' response. If if what I said is wrong, bear witness about what I said that was wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Jesus is as calm as could be after getting struck, just said, Yeah, it's not me who did something wrong here, buddy. It's you. Again, testify to what I said that was wrong. That was their frustration this whole time. They couldn't testify to anything that he was saying was wrong. But if you can't find anything that I said is wrong, why do you strike me? Why do you persecute me? Why am I here in the middle of this night at this trumped-up court that is it actually illegal, right? You're not supposed to have court at night. And you're looking to convict me, which, by the way, you're not allowed to do. There's the charges, and then there's a day in between before any conviction could happen. It's almost like a metaphor for what they were doing to him altogether. Now, we'll we'll pick up next week because we're going to come back to Peter and his struggles in this courtyard and struggles at keeping Jesus first when the heat's turned on. So let me just pray as we wrap this all up tonight. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for reminding us that he is there every step of the way. And that when the heat's turned on in our lives, and we see Peter going through that, all the disciples actually, if you get the rest of the story, they all fled, probably fled to their homes. When the heat's turned on in our lives, help us cling to you. Help us cling hold of the vine. Help us, help us remember your promises. And in case of Jesus, your victories that were accomplished for us on Easter. Help us remember that you got us, that you love us, that we're yours. Help us remind us that we're forgiven and that heaven is waiting. But help us remember, Lord. Because when we lose our sight on you, Peter shows us, the other disciples show us, we show us, that we can get all messed up in our thinking and in our actions, and that makes all the circumstances of our life not better but worse. So again, be with us during this time. Be with our country. and Be with this church. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen.